right, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 11, 12, and 13. Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11, 12, and 13. Um, In thinking about going forward in our church, we're doing a few things differently. Um, One is the election of deacons. Uh, And the process that we're going through right now is that we are asking you, the church, to make nominations to this office. And then those deacons are contacted to see if they are willing to serve, if if elected. And those that say, yes, I'll be willing to serve, go through an interview process to talk about the expectations of the deacon for the coming three years. It's a three-year term of service. And um, so we want to be prepared for that so that if they still feel called of God to say, yes, I'll serve, then the election will take place the last Sunday of August. I believe this year we need four deacons. We need four deacons to serve, uh, to replace those that are going off. And then uh, those that are, are elected will be the one, those that get the most votes will be the four, and then the others will serve as alternates. And so there are occasions when we do need alternates. So that's a little change in our church. It's a little bit, little bit different. We started earlier this year uh, in June in the process that we're in now. And actually this afternoon, we're going to be conducting those interviews uh, starting uh, right after church. So we're looking forward to this process and uh, heightening the, a little bit the expectation of deacons in our church uh, because uh, that office to deacon is very vital, very, very important. Uh, the deacons at uh, Ekron, uh, I have been truly amazed at how God has moved and worked for those to serve. Um, for example, <clears throat> we've had uh, three chairmen of deacons since I've been here. One for about two months, and, and he had to quit after I came. <laughs> David Poe, he just couldn't take it anymore, so David had to quit. And, uh, but David did a good job. Uh, second was uh, Scott uh, Scott Stinnett, and Scott seemed to be just the man for the job at the time and did an excellent job as well. And then Mike Cummins has been our chairman of deacons for the last year, and Linda and I have said many, many times uh, he was just the right man for the job at the right time. So it's as if God is placing uh, in the office of deacon those that he wants to serve at the right time with different skills and talents, and we are blessed here at Ekron to have uh, the level of de- dedication, uh, the level of sincerity uh, that our deacons take that ob- obligation. And so I want to commend all of you deacons for serving, uh, especially those that are rotating off this time. Uh, Rote um, uh, Smith has served four years instead of three because of COVID. And uh, so he needs a special thank you. Um, there may be one or two others that are serving on the fourth year as well. So a special thank you to you all. All right, we begin reading in chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, this passage of Scripture about how God has given to the church the leadership that the church needs at the right time. And these are people appointed by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, and one of those is the office of deacon. It's not mentioned in this passage of Scripture, but uh, Paul does write about the office of deacon in other passages that we will look at, particularly 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
All right, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now you ask, how do we get the office of deacon out of all of that? Well, the list that he mentions here is not an exhaustive list. It is a for example list. And as we go forward in the uh, uh, history of the early church and the history of the church today, we find that this list has uh, other uh, gifts that are given. But evangelists are truly gifts to the church. And I understand it's been a long time since we've had a revival here at Ekron Baptist Church, and I would like for us to pray and consider having a revival uh, sometime soon uh, because evangelists are gifts to the church. And uh, we need to be hearing from those folks from time to time. Nothing like a good old revival um, week. I know we used to have two weeks of revival in August. Uh, my dad actually took off from work in order to attend the revival. Uh, he delivered milk, and he would just take a week vacation to be dedicated to the revival uh, at his church. That's how much it meant to him. Um, but the office of deacon has evolved in the life of the church. And we're going to talk about that just a, a little bit, talk about how it got started, uh, what were the early um, um, responsibilities that the church uh, passed along to, to godly men, and then how that became the office of deacon. So if you would, turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 6. The book of Acts in chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, we have the earliest uh, indication uh, our example, if you will, of the office of deacon uh, in our church. It's not listed here as deacon, but, <clears throat> but you will notice that they did the deacon ministry. And that's really what I want to talk about today is the deacon ministry in the church. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in, in the daily serving of food. And so the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. That idea of service and serving tables is where we get the model for deacon ministry in the church. Uh, deacons are servant ministers. In fact, the word deacon means servant. Uh, diakonos means servant. And so here in the early church, there were problems that needed to be resolved. And they needed uh, leadership among the members of the congregation that were filled with the Holy Spirit, were people of integrity, and people that the church could rely upon them making decisions about the distribution of food. And so the food distribution to the widows was not equitable. There was a problem to be solved. And this gives us another indication of what deacon ministry is about. Deacon ministry is about solving problems, not making problems. Let me say that again. Deacon ministry is about solving problems, not making uh, problems. I've had my share of deacon ministers in the church, and most every deacon that we've had to serve at our church in Parkland, where I left, is very similar to here. Uh, they were good leaders, men filled with the Holy Spirit, men led of God. You see, the call of the deacon comes from two directions at the same time. 
First of all, it comes from God to the deacon. Uh, God has to lay on the heart of the deacon the desire to serve, the, the, the desire to, to work and serve in that office. The, uh, the call also comes from the church itself. Uh, the church is the one that says, we see in you the potential of a servant leader in this church, and we need your gifts and we need your strengths. So in that process is what the um, interviews are going to be talking about this afternoon. How has God led you to this point where you would even consider being a deacon or serving as a deacon in our church, whether you've already been ordained or not? Uh, you know, how has God spoken to you? Tell us your story. And then the church at the same time will pray about and consider, because you will have the list of names, of those that we're going to vote on the week prior, the Sunday prior. And, and you will be uh, considering how the Lord has called and spoken about these four top uh, people that we will elect to serve as deacons in our church. So the call to be a deacon comes from two directions at the same time. It comes from the Lord to the deacon and from the church as well. And what the church needs the deacon to do is to be a problem solver and to keep the unity in the church because the inequities that took place in the early church threatened the unity of the church. And here we have another uh, concept of what the deacon ministry is about. One of the primary roles of the deacon ministry in the church is to preserve the unity of the church. The primary role of the deacon ministry in the church is to protect the unity of the church. And that takes a mature person. And when you go further in this passage of Scripture, you see how they chose uh, those that were mature enough for this office. In verse 3, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation. Good reputation. In other words, uh, they have a, a, a history. They have a, a history of, of working and serving. Uh, they have a history of faithfulness. Uh, they have a history of teachability. Uh, they have a history of wanting to be a servant and to be a part of the deacon uh, ministry of the church. They have the church's welfare in their heart. Uh, they, they are planted here. Uh, this is our church. This is where God's called us to serve. And we're not going to go somewhere else, but we're going to carry on uh, the calling of this church so that people are treated equitably, uh, people are treated fairly, uh, people are treated with mercy and the love of God. So a select from you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. So we want deacons that are spirit-led, deacons that look to God for that calling, and deacons that are willing to say, this is what God wants me to do, and this is how God wants me to serve. Uh, their calling is not based on circumstances because circumstances change. But their calling is based upon an infilling of the Holy Spirit of God. And an infusion, if you will, of the Holy Spirit of God. And the desire to live by the Spirit of God. And you can see in their lives the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, no there is no law against these things. And so they were looking for seven men who would serve, who would be full of the Spirit, who would be full of wisdom. They had a gift of discernment. They could make wise decisions. Um, when they spoke, made decisions, 
it seemed to carry the weight of the church, and uh, and it was counted on uh, to go in the direction that they would that they would choose, whom we may put in charge of this task. It's good to turn something over to the deacon. It it really is. Uh, reliable reliability is a key quality of being a, a deacon to be able to carry out an assignment and get that assignment done. And so these. Uh, these widows and orphans were not treated equitably. And so as the disciples were trying to uh, distribute the food, they found out that they were not able to um, carry on their primary calling. Their primary calling was to preach and teach the Word of God. And so they gave this obligation to the, to the deacons, uh, to these seven men. Uh, they weren't called deacons then, but uh, later they became known as deacons in the history of the church. And so these men carried them out. And so they said, we can rely upon these people. So reliability, being filled with the Holy Spirit, having a sense of discernment, gift of discernment, and uh, wisdom as well, and someone that has a good reputation in the community and that others can say of this person, he's reliable. He, he, he's a reliable person. We, we can count on this guy. He is a person of integrity. He's a person that we uh, can count on it. Being a deacon is not a um, popularity contest because those qualities of the calling of the deacon are very serious. And it requires a maturity. It requires a willingness for that person to grow and to learn as well. And so he said in verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Uh, you think, well, they're not doing much because they're just praying and teaching and, and preaching the, the Word of God. Well, folks, it, it takes a lot of energy to preach the Word of God. It takes a lot of uh, research. It takes a lot of prep, preparation, uh, not just of the mind, but also of the heart. And so when those 12 apostles were uh, divided uh, with, because of the uh, confusion that was taking place in the church, they found that they needed to turn that up and work and that ministry over to some reliable men of God uh, that could take care of it while they pursued uh, the very call of God in their life as well. So you see this partnership. Uh, there, there's not a, um, a, a delineating kind of uh, a dictatorial, here's, here's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, here's the pastor and here's the deacons un under him. You know? You, you don't see that kind of hierarchy here. What you see is a partnership. And, and in that partnership, they work together to serve the needs of the church. And in providing for the needs of the church, people were treated fairly, they were treated equitably, and uh, look, look what the result was. In verse 6, they brought these before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. You remember a while ago I said the calling comes from the church as well as uh, being gifted from, from the Lord. And so here we see the church laying hands upon the, those deacons. Verse 7 talks about the effect or the outcome of this distribution of labor in the church. The word of God kept on spreading. The number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests even were becoming obedient to the faith. And so we see this outcome was a great, great testimony of partnership and ministry in the early church as they served
together in the work of the Lord. So the second passage I want you to look at with me for a little Bible study today is from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and beginning in verse 8. Here Paul is writing to Timothy about the office of deacon. Now it appears that over a period of time after the book of Acts, uh, after seeing this partnership work and serve the church well, this office of deacon became formalized in the early church. Even though Paul didn't write about it in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, he does write about it here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Listen, if you will, to the qualifications of the deacon in this passage of Scripture. He says, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, nor addicted to wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Um, deacons need to know what do we believe. Deacons need to have an understanding of the doctrines of the faith. Uh, deacons need to know what are the basic uh, doctrine principles of the New Testament church and the ones that we cannot compromise, uh, the ones that we must hold to. And What is the gospel? How do you explain the gospel? Now, in teaching about the gospel, uh, we often talk about uh, one of these um, new Calvinist kind of approaches to understanding the ministry of the church. And uh, when I was a seminary student, they gave this little story, this little illustration of how to understand the difference between Calvinism and Arm Arm Arminianism. Uh, usually you just have the two options. You're either Calvinist or Ar Ar Arminianist. But there's also a third option. You might know what it is. You don't have to be a Calvinist altogether. You don't have to be Arminianist altogether. What's your third option? Being a Baptist. Just being a Baptist. What, what's the difference? Well, here's the difference. Uh, these three seminary students are coming out, of the, coming out of the library, and as they're walking down, one's an Arminianist, one's a Baptist, one's a Calvinist. And as they reach the steps, they slip and fall, and down to the bottom of the steps, they all three slide at the same time. And when they get to the bottom, they kind of shake themselves off. And the, the Arminianist says, you know, I must be more careful. I slipped and fell. I wasn't watching where I was going. And, and, I, and maybe next time I can choose a, a different route and, and do better. And, and the Calvinist, when he gets up, he says, you know, I, I believe in the providence of God. I'm sure glad that chapter's over in my life. Hope that doesn't happen again. I'm glad that chapter's over. The Baptist in the middle says, you know, <clears throat> there are many mysteries in life, and I really don't understand why bad things happen to, good, to, to, to uh, good, good, good people. But he said, God was with me, and God has blessed me, and I have survived this fall, and I think I'm going to give a thank offering to the Lottie Moon uh, Christmas offering. And furthermore, I'm going to tell the Baptist deacons that they need to put some uh, restraints on this uh, uh, on, on these steps so that nobody else falls and let's prevent that from happening again see the difference all right well that's one way to remember the difference between Arminianism and Calvinism because Calvinists believe that in the providence of God things happen and we don't know why they happen but you just get through it the best you can and um, God causes everything to happen so once you've been through it I'm glad that's over uh, and Arminius, he has the idea that I'm responsible, there's, there's freedom of choice, and God honors that, and maybe I should, you know, do better next time. 
but the Baptist, he understands that no matter what happens to you in life, God's with you. God's with you. And to give a thank offering to missions and say, Lord, uh, we thank you for your good goodness in, in our life. So to have the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience doesn't always mean that you understand the theology, uh, but that you have a clear conscience before God in your service and your work in the kingdom of God, and, and that you desire more than anything else for the mystery of the faith. That's the gospel of Christ. That's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. And, and the mystery, furthermore, is that the Gentiles are welcome into the family of God uh, and they do not have to become Jews. They do not have to be circumcised in, in order to be a believer. But rather, uh, they are welcomed in the faith. And it is this mystery that Paul preached about and taught about. And when he talks about the mystery of the faith, uh, he's talking about the gospel and that all who believe in Christ can, can, can be saved. So they're holding to the mystery of the faith. They understand their doctrine. They understand their doctrine. They, they have it with a clear conscience. Uh, they are living out their doctrine. And these men are also first to be tested. Uh, we will have in our proposal for the Constitution that a, a, a deacon that's going to be elected in the church needs to be a believer at least a year. Uh, you know, at, at least a year. Maybe good to say five years, but, but at least a year uh, before they become a, a deacon in the church. First, let them be tested. Um, we have a program in our church called um, the Yoke Fella Deacon. And uh, Alex Poe is in that process right now. And he will be recommended to you as one of the four uh, possibilities for the deacon in the coming year as well. And he has completed not only his MBA, but he's also completed the Yoke Fella process as well. And the way we trained him was that we gave him the materials and he trained the rest of the deacons. So he was training us the whole time that he was being, being trained. And uh, there's nothing like learning how to do something by teaching it yourself. And once you teach it, uh, you have to know it. So, and, and he did a, a great job with that. So these must first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Uh, wives also, likewise, must be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate and faithful in all things. Now, the word for wives there is the word for women in the New, New Testament uh, Greek. And um, there's a lot of debate about should we have w women deacons, should we not. Uh, as long as I'm here, the answer is no. The answer is no. Um, that's just the way it is. And that's my interpretation. Now, wh where did I get that from? I get that from the fact that, uh, number one, um, probably one of the most uh, liberal professors I've ever had in s seminary uh, would translate this passage of scripture. And he said, in its original context, in the early church, this would have been a man and a woman, a wife. So the men are to be the deacons, the wives are to support the ministry of the deacon in, in the church as well. Uh, we don't believe that a person has to be married in order to, to be a deacon. That's not a, a requirement at all. But if you are married, your wife needs to support your ministry in this church. And so that's where I stand. And uh, so as long as I'm around here, if we go to 
women deacons in the church. I, I tell people this, and, and this is true. I found this to be true. Why don't you allow that? Well, other churches do, and, and I don't discredit them. That's fine if they want to do that. But here's what I find. You get men in a room to talk, and a deacon meeting needs to be a place where men can really talk and can open up. And you put a woman in the room, these men will not say a word. Am I right? Guys just go, mm. I don't know why if they, you know, dread the consequences or what. But um, they, they won't say a word. They won't share their heart. They will not open up. That, that's what I have found. Uh, that's not true in every church, but I have found it to be true in many churches. And so for that reason alone, plus the fact that the earliest uh, translation of this passage of Scripture by one of the most liberal professors I've ever had uh, would say the original text really means uh, the, this person was the wife of the deacon. And that's what it meant in that day. And so... Um, Deacons must be husbands of only one wife. This is a prohibition against polygamy. It does not include divorce, but it does talk about uh, being husband of one wife. That's a prohibition against um, polygamy in the church. I don't think we're going to have a problem with that in Meade County. And um, good managers of their children and their own household. Uh, a deacon needs to be the spiritual leader in the family. And de deacons that do that are bearing true a testimony to the rest of the church of what it's like to have a, a, a nurturing home, uh, to raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And I know every deacon doesn't have great success with their children. Uh, some have been very disappointed by their own children. Um, but um, that doesn't disqualify you. Uh, but here it does say very very firmly that the family of the deacon uh, should be a reflection of the spiritual leadership of the deacon as well. So if you will, let me leave you today with, number one, some expectations of a deacon. And these are some of my expectations of a deacon. Number one, you'll be a tither. Uh, you should be a tither. If I weren't a tither, I wouldn't raise my hand and say I'm, I'm willing to be a deacon. Now, nobody is going to go to the financial secretary in our church and say, well, is this person a tither or not? Nobody's going to do that. That's between you and the Lord. I don't want to know who's the tithers in the church and who are not the tithers in the church. I got scolded one time by a layman uh, who was big into finances in the church and said, every pastor needs to know who are the tithers in the church. He said, I think it's the stupidest thing in the world for you not to know. And I said, I think it's the stupidest thing in the world to know. I think that's ridiculous because you will tend to minister with a bias toward the people that are tithers in, in the church. And remember back in Acts chapter 6, the inequity that was addressed there. Well, there's an inequity in dealing with and ministering to people if the pastor knows who the tithers are. But uh, in my experience, I can just about know who the tithers are and who the tithers are not. I've been able to kind of figure that out through the years. And I've also been very, very surprised at the people who are the most generous givers in the church. Uh, it's not always the people with the most money in the church, but the people with the biggest heart for the work of the Lord. So um, deacons, it's between you and the Lord. Um, you need to be a tither. 
Number two, you need to attend the monthly meetings of the deacons. You need to be there. You need to be able to be there. You need to show up because important conversations happen in that hour and a half uh, time frame. And our meetings take place right after church. We used to have them about 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. But right now we're having them right after church, after COVID. And uh, that seems to work for us right now. Uh, but um, uh, you need to be able to attend the meetings of the deacon. Number three, you need to support the unity of the church. Uh, you need to see your mission as keeping the church together and keeping us focused on what God has called us to do. And that's to reach the lost and disciple the saved. Number four, you need to be a spiritual leader in your own family. You need to take spiritual lead in your own family. You need to be one saying, let's go to church. You need to be the one that's saying, let's go to Sunday school. You need to be the one that's stepping up and saying, uh, let me take the lead in the spiritual development of the family. Uh, get involved in special courses that will help you be a better deacon, a better Sunday school teacher a better servant in the church. So, uh, number five, always uh, be a learner growing in the Lord. I want you to be a learner, always growing in the Lord. Don't ever feel like you've learned all you're going to learn, but uh, learn some more as you grow in the Lord. So these are five expectations that I have of the deacons in the church. One, be a tither. Two, attend the monthly meetings. Three, support the unity of the church. Four, be a spiritual leader in your own family. And five, always be a learner so that you'll always be a better leader in the church. Then I want to end up by sharing with you six reasons that deacons are a blessing to the church. Six reasons deacons are a blessing to the church. One, deacons love people. Deacons love people. Uh, there should always be a, a welcoming spirit in the deacon of the church. Um, and that kind of welcoming spirit, uh, you might call it a gift of hospitality. Hospitality doesn't mean you're feeding people all the time. Hospitality means that you're making space for somebody as you talk with them. You're making space so that they can share openly and honestly with you. And uh, people will go to the deacon for counsel before they'll go to the pastor. In fact, I asked Scott one time, I said, uh, how am I doing? And Scott said, you're doing all right. He said, if you wasn't, I'd be the first to tell you. Because I'd be the first to know, he said. <laughs> I, I would hear about it first. And, and so uh, the deacons will be the first line of, um, of sharing uh, whatever concerns there are in, in the church before it ever gets to, to, to the pastor. So deacons love people, make space for people to share uh, their life with, with them. Number two, deacons unify the church. And that's a great blessing in the church. Deacons keep us together. And, and whatever it takes uh, in terms of service, in terms of uh, bringing people together to reach harmony, uh, doesn't mean we're uniform, uh, doesn't mean we're all just alike. We can have differences of opinion. We can have differences in the, a little difference in theology as well. But we're unified around the great commission of our Lord. And so that's one of the blessings of a deacon. Number three, deacons encourage people. Deacons say, way to go. Deacons say, attaboy. Uh, deacons are not problem makers, but problem solvers. Uh, deacons are people who encourage others in the church uh, so that we can all 
attain to the unity of the faith, uh, to the stature of the measure which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And number four, deacons are an example to people. Deacons are an example, and that's a blessing. Because we look to deacons to be our spiritual leaders and to carry the cross, to carry the gospel in such a way uh, that we want to be like them. I'll never forget the deacon that gave me my first Bible. Uh, after I was called to preach, uh, there was a deacon in uh, Winfield, Louisiana. My mother had passed away, and he was a Gideon. And uh, I got one of these little cards in the mail that said, in memory of your mom, you have been given a Bible. Well, what it should have said was you, uh, a Bible has been donated in her, her memory. So I thought, well, I've, been, I've got a Bible out there somewhere. So I went to that deacon. He was clerk of court uh, in, our, in our little town. And I said, I'm here to get my Bible. And he looked at me like, what, what do you mean? I said, well, I got this card in the mail. Oh, he said, I understand. Yeah, i tell you what. He said, you come back next week. I'll have a Bible for you. That deacon drove 50 miles to another town to a bookstore and bought me my red Bible that I preached out of for years and years and years. And uh, that was such a great encouragement to me because um, he was encouraging me and uh, making a sacrifice that I could continue in the Lord's work. So deacons are to be an example to people. Deacons are to reach out to people. Outreach and ministry is one of the most neglected areas of the church. And if you'll notice, the distribution of serving of tables in Acts chapter 6 led to outreach. Because the kingdom of God grew, the kingdom of God developed, people were coming to faith in Jesus. In fact, they were so, um, uh, this, this new status of deacon in the church was such a productive thing that, uh, that even the, the priests were being converted and coming into the uh, Christian faith. And finally, number six, uh, a blessing that deacons are is they bring stability to the church. They bring stability to the church. You can count on a deacon being here. You can count on a deacon being present in the house of God, encouraging other people. And you don't always have to know what to say, and especially when you're visiting guys in the hospital or the uh, nursing home where somebody is having a tragic time. Uh, it's not what you say. It's the fact that you were there. It's the fact that you were there. Uh, I remember the deacons that came to our son's funeral up in Louisville uh, two years ago. This October will be two years. And it just seems like yesterday, doesn't it? Um, I don't remember what you guys said to me. I really don't. You had some kind words, and I know they were. But I remember you were there. I remember who you are, and I remember that, that you were there. And I'll always be grateful and appreciative. That will stay with me and Linda for the rest of our lives. And so you've invested that part of you in us, and you walked through that time with us, and uh, you brought stability to our life because you showed up. You were there. And you kept us from, from running off the rails, so, so to speak. You kept us stable and moving forward. And we thank you, and we're very, very grateful. So the deacons are called by God in the church to serve. The deacons are qualified by the Holy Spirit to serve. The expectations of the deacon is to tithe, to attend monthly meetings, support the unity of the church, be the spiritual leader in your family, and always be a learner. And the blessings of the deacon are, one, 
Uh, they love people. They unify people. They encourage people. They're an example to people. They reach out to people and bring stability to people as well. One of the greatest min ministries, I may speak about this next Sunday a little bit more, but guys, one of the greatest ministries that you can have is to say nothing. Really, just say, say nothing. In other words, be a non-anxious presence in the life of someone else who's going through a, a hard time. Uh, I, I'm so glad that I don't have to have all the advice in the world. People call me up and say, what do I do about this? What do I do about that? I don't know. But we'll pray about it t t together. We'll seek the Lord, and we'll help you figure out what God wants want you to do. But to be a non-anxious presence, somebody needs to, to be a non-anxious presence, especially when there's anxiety. Uh, the COVID um, environment that we have just come through has created a lot of changes and a lot of anxiety in our land. And uh, it is the faith and faithfulness of deacons that keep us on track. And, and I really think we are in a, a period in the history of Ekron Baptist Church where the future has just begun for us. And uh, it's, it's looking bright. It, it really is. And I'm encouraged by the attendance. I'm encouraged by the number in Sunday school today. And uh, your, your participation and deacons, your leadership in our church makes the difference. So uh, you're not just a deacon. You're a true servant of the Lord. Will you bow your heads together as we pray? Today, maybe you're that person that needs to come and give your life to the Lord. And if you do, we're going to sing a hymn in just a moment. And we invite you to come forward during the singing of that hymn. Father, we thank you for the deacons in our church and the ministry that you've called us to do. We pray, Lord, that we will rededicate ourselves today to be better servants of the Lord, more faithful. Um, not let the distractions of the world uh, take us away from our primary duty and that is to serve the church and I pray Lord that we'll make that recommitment as we sing this song today and if there be one person here that needs to come forward and give their life to Christ I pray they'll come today while we sing this hymn in Jesus name we pray Amen You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ephraim Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.